Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. The scripture reading this morning is going to come from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. That is Daniel 7, 13 and 14, page 788, if you're following along in your pew Bible. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came of the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. It is so good to be with you here, assembled in the church on this Sunday morning, the first of the year. Okay. Thought you had something else to say. I was like, well, okay. Yield to the elder. <laughs> uh, yeah, good, good. Uh, to be here with the church as part of the assembly of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week, the first, first day of the week of the year, the first day of the year, Happy New Year. What a blessing it is to be here with the church today to be able to begin uh, a new theme. And throughout this year, Lord willing, if the year is to come to its completion in the year of our Lord, 2023, our theme is for Him. And we are going to explore Jesus this year. We are going to explore what it means to be called by Jesus, to be followers of Jesus. We're going to explore what conversion actually means. And uh, I am excited about it. And I hope that you're excited about that. Uh, Jesus is everything. He is my all, and I hope that he is yours. And spending time thinking about Jesus is the best time that can possibly be spent. And so my hope is that by the end of this year, again, if it is the Lord's will, that we're able to complete this, this year's theme, that we're all going to have a greater understanding of our Lord and Savior we're all going to be drawn closer to him in our personal relationship as well as in our walk with him. We're going to understand what it means to be converted to Christ. And actually, hopefully, all of us will be converted to Christ, truly, deep down from the heart. Every aspect of us, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, every thought captive to obey Christ. That's our purpose in this year, Lord willing. And... Uh, we're going to have 12 series as this year goes on, each exploring another aspect of this theme. And I'll tell you what our, our present series is in just a moment, but I want to begin by asking a question. What are you worth? Appraisal is the, the profession of assessing the value of something, especially we think of property or Someone might appraise the value of jewelry. Anything that can be bought and sold, there's someone somewhere who has developed a skill set that enables them to appraise the value of that uh, particular thing. 
And there are a number of factors that go along with determining how much something is worth. At the end of the day, something is worth what people will pay for it. And that's what an appraiser tries to figure out. Uh, so that someone that wants to sell something can hit that perfect sweet spot in the price so that it sells for as much as they can get as quickly as all of that is the art or the science or the discipline or whatever you want to call it or of appraisal. And uh, of course the condition of the thing is it, going to weigh into the decision of how much something is worth. Um, the market value, what people are paying for the same kind of thing in the same kind of place is going to factor into that. And of course the features that the particular thing uh, may have. Uh, for instance, a car with all of the options is going to be priced higher than a car that is stripped down and just uh, basic in its features. And that's kind of the way that appraisal works. Uh, what if something's broken? Well, no, there is a market for broken things. People that like to restore things. But if you have a sweet mint condition 57 Chevrolet and you are selling that, and on the other hand you have the half rusted out shell of a 57 Chevy that you want to sell, you know which one's going to go for a higher price. Well, how do you appraise the value of a human being? Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment, and, and I'm, I, I'm not necessarily asking you to appraise yourself as compared to other people. That's something we may do later in this year's theme and think about how we ought to regard one another as, you know, because every single day you are being appraised by the people around you in your world. And every single day, you're appraising the value of the people around you in your world. And if you're honest with yourself, on some days, you, you may be doing that accurately. You may be doing it spiritually, the way that God would have you to do it. But if you're being honest with yourself, there are days in which you are appraising other people by the devil's standards, by the world's standards, by sinful standards, by unloving standards, and therefore beneath the standards of Jesus. And, and I think it's safe to say that most of us Maybe often, at least sometimes, look in the mirror, literally or symbolically, look in the mirror and we appraise ourselves by standards other than Jesus' standards. So the question is not what are you worth compared to somebody else. That's another lesson. The, the, the question is how much is a human being worth? And in the end, the only person, the only being in existence that can actually give us an objective answer to that question is God. Because if you ask people in the world, how much is a human being worth? You will find a spectrum of answers. There are people on the kind end that will say, oh, one human being is priceless. Man, woman, child, regardless of accomplishments, regardless of talent, regardless of ability, regardless of what they've done or what they haven't done, one human being is priceless. But on the other end of the spectrum, people will say life is cheap man a human being is worth what I can get out of him or her utilitarian and that's that and if somebody is of no use to me they are of no value to me and that's the spectrum of things the way that the world assesses the value of a human being but there is one truth there is one fact that is the final answer to the question of the value of a human being and that is the fact that I speak in human terms here, and I'll, I'll say more about that in just a moment. But just speaking in human terms, at some time in eternity past, I mean, before the world was, 
before God created the universe, before he said, let there be light, before the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, sometime in eternity past, God imagined a man. God imagined a human being. He imagined the appearance of a man or of a woman. Mankind is what I'm speaking of. He imagined the the nature, male and female, of this human being that he conceived in his imagination, conceived this thought, this idea of. He he thought about how intelligent, in general, human beings would be. He he thought about giving of his spirit, of his nature to these human beings. He, He thought everything that there is to think about human beings, eyes and nose and Knees and toes and whatever the song is we sing with the little kids where they learn all of the different parts of their, of their bodies. He, he thought about the bodies of human beings. He thought about the souls, the spirits of human beings. He thought about the life that could exist in a human being that he could give of his spirit, his spiritual nature into a creature made of flesh, made of stuff, made of dirt. And he liked the idea. And he liked the idea so much, brothers and sisters. Are you listening? God, in his mind, before ever Adam took his first breath, decided the idea of humanity was so good that he would become one himself. Now you let that sink in. You want to know how valuable a human being is? You just think of that thought. Because that answers the question. That settles the matter. Because anything that God wants to be, are you hearing that? Anything that God wants to be is something that matters. Is something that's important. Is something that is immeasurably valuable. But what if you're broken? What is a broken human being worth? Well, Genesis 3.15 begins to answer that question. Because God already had in mind what he had intended from all eternity. And again, I say speaking in human terms, God doesn't have to process thoughts. He knows everything, he knows all his ways, always has, always will. But in order for us to understand the mind of God as well as we can as human beings, we can think of God as thinking temporally in moments of time, and that's okay. Helps us to relate to God, because God's thought process beyond our comprehension as human beings. Even though our thought processes are like his, a junior version, we might say, of God's. All right, and, and so in the mind of God, he had already had all his plan laid out before the foundation of the world, but we didn't know that. Adam and Eve didn't know that. In Genesis 3, when humanity fell into sin, nobody knew that. And when God came walking in the garden intending, well, his desire was to have peaceful fellowship with Adam and Eve. And he, of course, again, speaking in human terms, he already knew what was going on, but he found them hiding from him. And he, he said those words, where are you? And that conversation that ensues in Genesis chapter 3 answers the question about how much God values broken human beings. Because the first messianic prophecy, and that means the first 
prophecy about the Messiah, about the Christ, about the way that God was going to fix broken human beings, repair our world and save us from our sins is Genesis 3.15. And in that passage he says, I have not changed my mind. Again, Adam and Eve didn't know what God had been thinking about from eternity. We got the whole 66 books of the Bible picture to think about. So God says to us, I haven't changed my mind because humanity is now in sin. I am going to become a man and I will cause, speaking to Satan, God says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between her, your offspring, and her offspring. See, her offspring, a human child, he will strike your head. The only thing you're going to be able to do is nip at his heels. That's God's plan from all eternity, to become a human being so that he can save his precious, valuable creatures, human beings made in the divine likeness. We read in Isaiah 7, 14, this is the Amplified Bible just because it gives the translation of the word Emmanuel or the name Emmanuel. But the prophecy of the virgin birth, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Listen carefully. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means, is translated, God with us. That's the meaning of Emmanuel, and that's who Jesus is. He's God who has become a human being, God being a man. We think also just a couple of chapters later in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, the New Living Translation says, For unto us, do you see the, the wording of this passage? Unto who? Unto us. Now, of course, Israel primarily, but humanity in the grand scheme of things. Uh, unto us a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the promise of the Son of Man. In uh, Genesis 3, well, I'm going backwards, sorry folks. In uh, the book of Daniel, we read in our scripture reading this morning, we read about one called Son of Man. In the book of Ezekiel, if you're familiar with Ezekiel, it's not one of the world's of the church. It's not the church's favorite book in the Bible, I don't imagine. I, I love those, uh, those books of prophecy there with all of the wild apocalyptic language. They delight me, but it's one of the places that lots of Christians read through and they say, I have no idea what Ezekiel means. And, and there are, th let me just be you know, humble and, and truthful and tell you there are some passages in Ezekiel I'm not entirely sure what they mean. I think I get the gist, but but, but what I want you to think about, if, you, if you've never read Ezekiel, listen, don't spend too much time as a Christian sitting in the pew of the person that hasn't at least read the whole Bible once, okay? If you haven't at least read through the whole Bible one time, then, then this year, this year, that needs to be your New Year's resolution. That is your end of the year accomplishment. And you can look at the bulletin. You get on the church Facebook page every week, and there's a Bible reading schedule that we share that has a reading for every day. And if you follow it, you'll read through the whole Bible once. And in fact, you'll read through portions of wisdom literature more than once. So there's that. All right, but as you read through the book of Ezekiel, and, and many of you have read the book of Ezekiel many times, you will find there the prophet being referred to by God as son of man. 
over and over, I think over 90 times or something like that. In the book of Ezekiel, we have that prophet referred to as son of man. And so we find that when we read the Gospels that Jesus takes on that title that is mentioned in Daniel chapter 7 and that Ezekiel uses so many times, he takes on the title of son of man. And it's what Jesus uses to describe himself more than anything else. And so that's the, that's the series for this month of January. We're going to talk about what it means that Jesus is the son of man. Now, there's going to be some overlap between this series and February series, Lord willing, because February is going to be Son of God. We're talking about Son of Man and Son of God, just as we sang a few moments ago, Son of Man, Son of God. There's going to be some overlap, but we're focusing on the idea of Jesus as Son of Man in this series, and, and it basically just means human. Son of Man means human. That's the, the basic theological gist of the statement, human being. So, so when, I, when, when Daniel is prophesying of the one coming to the ancient of days and receiving a kingdom, one like a son of man, a human being comes and receives this everlasting kingdom. That's the meaning of the prophecy there in Daniel 7. And throughout uh, the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is being called human. Hey, human, say this. Hey, human, do this. Hey, human, do that. That's what God is saying throughout it all. And you, I don't know if maybe we, we catch the depth of this. And just how cool it is. God all had in mind. Jesus had in mind. All of this was pointing to him. Right, we've talked about the law of first mention before. The first time that the, the, the phrase son of man is mentioned. Depending upon how you regard what is to be mentioned first. Job was probably the first book of the Bible ever written. But it is not first in, in sequence. And it wasn't intended to be first in sequence, even though the Hebrew of the book of Job predates that of Moses' Pentateuch or Torah. And so you can look at the book of Job and you can find mentions there in several places. 1621 is one. Uh, of course, if you're looking in, in sequential order, hierarchical order of the books of the Bible, you're going to go to Moses first. And so Numbers 23, 19, we, we have the, the phrase son of man mentioned in these passages. And I'm not going to read for the sake of time Daniel 7, 13, and 14 again. I appreciate my brother reading that well this morning, but we see that prophecy that, Lord willing, we will talk about later this month in Daniel chapter 7, 13, and 14, where the Son of Man comes and receives from the Ancient of Days, from God Almighty, this kingdom which will never be overthrown and never come to an end. Like I said over 90 times in the book of Ezekiel, but what is most important to our series today and to our understanding of Jesus is that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. It is his favorite self-identification. And so as Jesus is walking around, and this is what you need to hear, when you're reading the Gospels and studying the Gospels and hearing the Gospels read, and you hear Jesus say, for the Son of Man has not come to whatever he says. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost, so on. The different things that Jesus says in the Gospels, what you need to hear theologically is the human. The human has come. The human has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That is clearly the meaning of this prophetic sort of statement that we find Jesus in the Gospel accounts fulfilling. Now, I do want us to look at some portions of the genealogies. And this is where we find some, well, some considerable uh, theological significance to these uh, genealogies we read about. Uh, first of all, uh, the beginning genealogy of Christ is in the first chapter of the book of 
Matthew. And these are passages that, you know, maybe sometimes people are tempted to skip through because it's, it's so on, begat so on, begat so on, begat so on. But there's an important theological teaching that is being shared with us in this passage. Look at verses 1 through 17 of the book of Matthew. And I want you to just listen to what's being said here and listen to some of the names. Uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Is Jesus actually the son of, in this sense, means descendant of, all right? Uh, so is Jesus really the so many times removed great-grandson of King David? I mean, if he is, then he's a human being, right? Because David is a human being. Is he really the descendant of Abraham, the child the seed that was promised to him, of course, we know that he is. And if Jesus is the descendant of Abraham, then Jesus is a human being. He's human. And we go on and read through, you know, the genealogy here. And I'm not going to read it word for word, but look at verse 3. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. You know that story? That's a fun one. All kinds of interesting things going on there in Jesus' family tree. All right, continuing, uh, you know, we go um, uh, continuing through the passage here. Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Do you hear Rahab there? You know what uh, title is usually ascribed to Rahab? Uh, the harlot, you know, the harlot, comma, thee, or something like that. Rahab, harlot, comma, thee. Okay, you know what a harlot is, right? If not, you can look that up on your own. I bring this up to say that we have in this genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 some of the greatest people that have ever lived. Now, we'd be foolish to say that any of these people were perfect apart from Jesus Christ. We know certainly that Abraham wasn't perfect. He lied about his, his wife because he was a coward twice and almost cost his family big, and those weren't the only sins a man ever committed, just ones that happened to find themselves in the text of Genesis. What about David? He was perfect, right? He never did anything wrong. You know better than that, David committed some of the most grievous sins that one could possibly commit so far as human standards are concerned, but I will say this, both Abraham and David are a couple of the greatest people that have ever lived. That's a fact. It's true. Because their hearts were fully God's, and they were his friends. They made mistakes. They were sinners, but God loved them because they loved him and were loyal to him. But also in this context, some of the people that would maybe fit in the category where the world evaluating the value of the human being would say, these are some of the worst people. What, he's descended from a prostitute? Yeah. Jesus is descended from a prostitute. Yeah, he is. He is. He's the son of man. He's one of us. Unto us a child is given. Unto us a son is born. To whom does that statement apply? Well, it applies to really good religious people who've got their feet on solid ground, whose hearts are fully given over to the service of the Lord, that love Him with all their hearts, and that strive every day to make sure that they say their prayers, that they do their Bible readings, that they try to, to spread the word of the Lord and do good works in the name of Jesus to give Him glory, that are at church every time the doors are open. It applies to them, but it also applies to all of those people that we know in our world and don't know in our world that are absolutely wrecked in sin and oppressed by the devil and don't believe that they've got any value at all. Jesus 
is the child given to them too. He is of the best of us. He is of the worst of us. He is one of us. He is the son of man. Jesus is a human being. And there is no human being in the world that cannot feel connected to Jesus because of these genealogies. It shows us who he is as a human being. We could look at Luke, but I simply want to draw your attention to the end of Luke's genealogy there, verses 23 through 38, 37, 38 or so uh, in the verses in that passage where we get to the end of Luke's genealogy. He goes way back farther than Matthew does. He says, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now that's where we overlap a little bit. But we overlap a little bit with this series and February series because it's important for us to understand what a human being is intended to be. A human being is intended to be a son or a daughter of God. One who wants to be like his or her father. One who is like his or her father. One who is not broken but is whole, one who is reflecting the perfect image of God back to himself from the face of flesh, representing the image of the Spirit of God back to himself because of the content of our hearts, because of what's on the inside of us, because of what we love and because of what we want and are motivated to do and because of what we're doing in life. We are to reflect the image of God back to himself and be perfect as he is perfect, to be holy as he is holy. That's what a real human man is brothers and sisters and if you're a broken one you have fallen and fell short of that ideal and that's why Jesus is the son of God because he's human does that make sense because he filled up the measure of what it means to be human and it is therefore only through the son of man that you and I have the opportunity to be restored to God as true human beings, as sons and daughters of God. And so these are the ideas that son of man means. But before we conclude our thoughts today, I want to make sure that we recognize the singularity of this truth and the permanence of this truth. First of all, he is the son. And by that, I'm referring back to Isaiah 7, back to Isaiah 9, back to Genesis 3, back to all of the Messianic, over 300 specific Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. I'm referring to them all, and I'm letting you understand, I know most of you already understand, Jesus is the one. He fulfills all of those prophecies. He is the anointed one, the Messiah. There is no religious leader that is in the same category of Jesus. None. Jesus is the son, the promised one from prophecy. He is the Son of Man, the great prophet that fulfills Daniel, that fulfills Ezekiel. Well, basically, he fulfills creation. He fulfills everything that God had in mind when in eternity past, in the ages of eternity past, when God conceived of mankind and of his plan for a physical universe full of his representatives, kings and priests that would reign in his name. Jesus is, he's the Son of Man, the human. He is the great prophet, and he's the head of new humanity. He's the man. You know, we sometimes say, maybe we don't, some of us may, 
stick it to the man, you know. In our culture, you know what it means to stick it to the man? It means defy the authority that is over you. And it's, it's a statement that's said in the context of implicit tyranny. You know, where someone is, you think someone is mistreating you or not giving you your dignity, not giving you your rights, or we might say appraising you to be worth less than you think that you're worth. And, and so folks will stick it to the man by milking the clock at work. You know, ha, 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 they're paying me to surf the web right now. Folks do that. Christians ought not to do that. If you've been doing that, who is the man really? You know, I, I, we understand what people say when they mean that. Jesus is the man. And you know what? The devil stuck it to the man, didn't he? The world stuck it to the man, didn't they? They pierced him through and nailed him to a cross. Because they didn't want his lordship. They didn't want the plan that God had in mind. They didn't want the imagination that God thought of and his omniscience before the world was because that didn't fit with their evaluation of human quality, their appraisal of human value. Because if you accept Jesus, you've got to quit mistreating people. Yeah, listen. If you accept Jesus, you've got to quit mistreating people. You've at least got to try. If you accept Jesus, you've got to quit cheating at work. Yeah, you've got, you got to actually put in a good day's work. Every day? Every day. You at least got to try. I mean, if you accept Jesus, if you accept his agenda for being human, then you have to lower yourself to realize that you're actually not better than all of those people. Don't lie about it. You're not any better than all of those people that you've looked at over the course of your life and decided that you are better than them. You are not better than any of them. If you accept Jesus, you've got to lower yourself to that standard. And that means that you cannot exploit people. You cannot use people. You cannot abuse people. If you follow Jesus, you've got to stop doing that. But the world doesn't want to stop doing that because exploitation makes the few rich and powerful. And that's the way the world likes it. And listen... Before you think this is some class warfare sermon, it is not. Because the vast majority of poor people in the world are thinking exactly the same way. And if they get their chance, are you listening? And if they get their chance, they'll stick it to the man. And they'll change places with him. And they'll be the man. And then they'll oppress him. That's the world's way. And you got to abandon that if you trust in the agenda of Jesus. That's why they nailed him to a tree. But you and I know good and well, <laughs> they stuck it to him, but it didn't stick. Because he's the man. He really is. And he's a human being forever. I think sometimes in the church we get the idea that Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, the eternal word of God, that, that he became a man for a, you know, temporary duration till, till he accomplished his work on this earth. And then he sort of just like evaporated his humanity and floated back up to heaven to, to be back, you know, fully in the form of God. And I, I know that there are a lot of Christians that think that way about Jesus, that believe that that's, you know, the, the, the way about Jesus. 
you know, there's, uh, there's uh, a meme that I think is funny. I'm not, I'm not saying the meme is bad, but the meme is theologically inaccurate. But, you know, it says, uh, say your prayers and wash your hands because Jesus and germs are everywhere. Have you seen that one? It's funny. It's all right. It's just theologically wrong because, well, I guess Jesus is everywhere in a sense, representatively, because of his connection to the Holy Spirit. Through the mind of the Holy Spirit and the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is everywhere. But Jesus personally is in heaven, contained. Acts chapter 3, heaven must receive him until the time of restoring all things about which the prophets wrote. Jesus is embodied. He is currently embodied. He is not omnipresent. He emptied himself of that. He's forever a human being, brothers and sisters. Are you listening? Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped or to tightly be held on to, but emptied himself. You see that? That didn't change who he was, the person that he has always eternally been. It changed the form of person in which he lived, the, the way that he was being that person. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Continuing then, Colossians 2, verse 9. By the way, did Paul write Colossians 2 before or after the ascension, Christ's ascension into heaven? He wrote it after Christ's ascension into heaven. And after Christ has ascended into heaven, he writes this in the present tense in the Greek, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, this is not some code word where body means something other than what we think it means. Body means exactly what it means. It means human body. There is one glorified, resurrected human being, a man with hands, toes, feet, eyes, ears in heaven, right hand to the throne of God. It is Jesus our Lord, and that is what the Bible teaches. He became a human being and continues to be one today. Paul writes later, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. Who? The man, Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. This is the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. That's one of those big theological terms that you would do well to know and remember. This is one of the fundamental doctrines of the faith, not just because dogma says so, but because it is a description of reality that is an essential understanding that we must have if we're going to build a life of understanding the will of God and being able to work in God's uh, kingdom successfully. We've got to have solid ground under our feet, which means that we've got to know the, the truth, the reality about the world we live in. And one of the realities of the world we live in is that Jesus Christ is God who became and remained a human being. And, and if that doesn't teach you anything else today as we kick off this series, it teaches you that there is something special about being human. Something really important about it. And you ought not to think that a human being, because we have physical bodies, we have digits that move, eyes, mouth, nose, hands, feet, toes, that we are on the same level as a horse or a dog or a rat. We're not on the same level at all. We share one fact of reality. We're made out of the dirt of this earth. We're of the same creation that they're of. But we've been exalted over it because we have something that they don't have. 
And that is a spirit made in the likeness of Almighty God. And so Jesus is the second person of deity, the eternal word, ever proceeding from the Father as his Son who became flesh. This is the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ, and you need to understand it. And so everything I've said today is hopefully laying the groundwork for what we'll explore, Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks, and then also use as a platform to jump into thinking about what it means that Jesus is the Son of God. But I, I want to conclude our thoughts by opening up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. And I want you to listen to what the Hebrew writer has to say about Jesus. And I think this will help us to understand why he is the Son of Man, why he became and remains a human being. And I hope it will help you to appreciate so much more the nature of the reconciliation that you enjoy with God because of him, because it is through his sonship to God, his humanity, him being the true human that you, through faith in him, have been able to be made a part of new humanity in Christ, and you have had your humanity restored to you, your sonship, your daughtership to God restored to you. Hebrews chapter 2, listen to verses 14 through 18, please. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he that's Christ himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham." Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus, our King, our high priest, the greatest of us, by far. But do not overlook that prepositional phrase of us. God thought of a man. God thought of humanity. And he liked the idea so much, he decided he'd become one. And brothers and sisters, that just melts my heart. Man, it really does. Because no matter what anybody says in this world, no matter what, no matter how you may evaluate my worth, no matter how I may evaluate yours, no matter how the world does, no matter how the church does, I know how much I'm worth in spite of the fact that I'm broken. The man that God chose to become fixes broken human beings. It's what he does. That's why I know the value of you. And brothers and sisters, this truth is what makes ministry matter. And it's what makes ministry the most important thing in the world. God loves humans. He loves us. The Son of God became 
and remains human. He loves us. He intercedes for us acceptably because he is us acceptably. And it is through his mediation, brothers and sisters, that we have peace with God. And there's nothing in the world that's better than that. We got a whole lot more to say about what it means for Jesus to be the Son of Man, but that's enough for today. But I just want to ask you this morning, if you've come into this assembly on this first day of this new year, you feel like trash, you feel like that you don't deserve the love of God, you don't deserve it, but don't let that think that you are not worth something to God. You are worth what someone will pay for you, my brother, my sister. You are worth what God will pay for you. That's what you're worth. And nothing else that anybody says matters because God, just again, speaking as a human, God's got the biggest bank account of anybody. and He set your price. He has set your price. He has set the value of you. Your worth, the life, and the blood of Jesus. And if you don't feel like you're worth that today, these front pews are open. You can come down here and let's start a conversation. Because I want to minister to you. Because you have value to God. This morning, if you haven't become a Christian, you are missing out on what it means to be human. There's only one true humanity. That's in Jesus Christ. If you're not following Jesus, you to one degree or another man are an animal, a mere animal. It's only through Jesus that you find yourself as a human being. If you haven't confessed the name of Christ and made the decision to turn from sin, obeyed the command to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, the water's ready. You can change that today. Become a child of God. If you're subject to the invitation, don't hesitate. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.